0: all right here we go didactic mind episode 53 the forge master very warm welcome as always to all of my loyal listeners all of my loyal subscribers many thanks to you um for the, excuse me for those of you who have subscribed if you have not subscribed already please make sure you hit the like share and subscribe buttons uh, so that you never ever miss a new upload for this podcast series And uh, make sure that uh, you spread the podcast around. Uh, If you have not done so already, make sure you subscribe via the mailing list because uh, that is the best way to get direct um, inputs from me. Uh, It is an almost weekly, or almost daily, excuse me, uh, email that I send out to various uh, subscribers and listeners. And uh, you get kind of a more personalized set of ideas and indeed um, insights and tools and tips and products that you would not necessarily get otherwise through more uh, impersonal sources. So definitely take the time to sign up. The uh, direct link for signing up to the Didactic Mind mailing list is going to be in the description box, so please make use of that. And uh, as always, support my work uh, by clicking on Amazon Affiliate Links, and uh, there will be a Subscribestar um, subscription platform available before very long. I've already set it up, I just uh, need to finalize the page and uh, start adding some content, basically. But uh, this is the last Sunday before the big day, November 3rd election day, and it is indeed a very momentous and consequential day, and I'm not going to spend the whole podcast talking about the election, because it's really just part of a broader set of themes that was really inspired by an old friend of mine, a man I consider uh, something of a mentor, actually, and uh, we spoke earlier this week on the phone for a couple of hours, as we are wanted to do. And we chatted, I think it was on Friday, actually. um, And we chatted for a good long while. And uh, he gave me some useful um, insights, as he always does, based on biblical wisdom. Again, as he always does. Uh, He is, in fact, the man largely responsible for my journey to Jesus Christ. And for my bending the knee. And uh, the reason why... well, the major reason why he and I were talking was because of this feeling of uh, looming consequences. The best way I can put it is, if you've ever read Dune, Frank Herbert's Dune, the greatest science fiction novel ever written, hands down, okay? In Dune, Paul Atreides, Paul Maudibre, uh, talks uh, from his point of view, he he de- he describes this this boiling storm wall or nexus in which he cannot see, despite his gift of prescience, despite being able to see all possible futures, and despite being able to understand um, how everything will play out, all possible outcomes, he is unable to see beyond this one consequential moment in time and he feels himself being propelled towards it by all of his choices he is unable to avoid his fate and he is unable to avoid the hero worship that comes along with it, but that's not the story Um, that's the feeling that we're getting now Uh, my friend and I we're both getting it and many of us um, many of us brothers in Christ are getting that same feeling, this, this feeling of Not dread, exactly, because we're not afraid of what's coming on November 4th, but of an imminent call to action, an imminent set of very, very difficult choices which we're going to have to make. And it's not something that makes us afraid, it's just something that makes us heavy-hearted because we know that as bad as the tests have been of late, they're going to be much, much worse in the future. And that's hard to take. And my friend talked to me about how God uses us and um, the way that he forges us. Now, if you've ever uh, seen a samurai katana being forged, uh, katana is a Japanese sword those of you who aren't familiar, the few of you who didn't watch, <laughs> you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up as I did, uh, those of you, the Zoomer generation have really missed out because whatever it was that you watched uh, in terms of TMNT, uh, I promise you wasn't as good as what I watched when I was a kid. Uh, dude, we had, our my childhood was awesome because of the cartoons. You know, what we had, Thundercats, we had He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, we had SWAT cats in the mid 90s we had transformers generation one uh, and generation two we had um you yeah, know the funny thing is i don't remember Ma- I-, I do not remember mask but i do remember gi joe which was awesome uh even th- there was a-, a rambo animated series which was kind of ridiculous but uh there it was so we had all the cool cartoons growing up man. we had we had lit cartoons when i was a kid. Um, but anyway the the point is uh, we uh, if you've never seen a katana being forged uh, a katana is actually a composite sword in the sense that it is two pieces of metal in one blade and the way the forge master has to make the sword is fascinating the katana solves the problem of uh, dealing with uh, dealing with two major issues of swords uh, the first major issue is if you use very high carbon steel, the edge will uh, retain itself very well uh, sorry the edge will be extremely sharp but it will it will not retain itself very well over time because high carbon steel is very brittle and the sword will snap more easily if however you use low carbon steel then the sword will uh, be more robust. It will be much uh, tougher to use and it will last a lot longer when you use it in combat. But it will also lose its edge much more quickly. So it will become basically just a club for hitting people with. The katana solves this problem through a very ingenious method of combining two types of steel in one weapon. A katana is essentially a um uh, a core of low carbon, very tough steel. Uh you know, completely blunt. It's just a, a rod of steel affixed to a pommel with a hilt. Around that is jacketed a very, very, very sharp blade of high carbon steel. So the the sword is actually two pieces of metal combined into one. It's grafted in uh into each other. Now Japanese katana are not um, quite as as unbreakable as Japanese legend would have you believe. You can, in fact, snap even a high-quality katana quite easily by slamming it against uh, a block of uh, ice or, um, you know, a particularly hard uh, log of wood, or uh, even just smashing it into the ground. You can snap the blade. It's quite possible, but. The process for making the sword is also absolutely fascinating. Uh, the legend says, the legends say, that when the forge master creates his katana, he will fold the steel over upon itself like a thousand times. Um, and this is nonsense. Uh, if you actually go look up uh, metallurgy and blacksmithing, uh, and you look at how blacksmiths fold metal, you're going to quickly realize that this legend of, of you know folded over a thousand times is is basically impossible, because if you fold the metal over onto itself more than the, the last time I read about it, it was like seven to ten times. If you do it more than that, the the, the steel basically becomes useless. It um it loses its uh it loses its um, integrity. Essentially, and becomes more or less a formless lump of molten metal. It cannot hold an edge. It, it cannot actually do anything useful. But for those five to seven times that it's folded over, that's how you get the the impurities beaten out. That's how you get all of the um, the the nasty stuff that that compromises the integrity of the blade removed. And then uh, once the once the um, the steel has been folded over sufficiently. It is then taken out of the fire and thrust into water. And that is called the quenching. So you have the forging process. You have the beating or hammering process. You have the sharpening process. And then you have the quenching process. Or, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert. It could be the quenching comes before the sharpening. But, I mean, you get my meta. You get the point. And finally, you have the combination of the high carbon steel into the, you know, over as a jacket on top of the low carbon steel. That is how a true high quality katana is formed. And uh, these are rightfully extraordinarily famous swords because they have seen uh, battle in the hands of samurai and ninja for centuries. And they do retain their edges. Exceptionally well, they are extraordinary weapons because, unlike a, a Western longsword uh, or a greatsword, uh, th- which like the knights would use on horseback, these are not designed to be clubs to with edges. You know, they're not edged clubs designed to beat the crap out of people. They're not designed to be big, heavy uh, things to be swung around by uh, men in forty pounds of armor. Uh, these are meant to be wielded as lightning-fast, very sharp, extremely potent weapons of war, of single-handed, of, of um, hand-to-hand combat. And the greatest practitioner of the art of uh, kenjutsu, uh, swordplay, was a legendary samurai uh, named Miyamoto Musashi. That was his name, Miyamoto Musashi, uh, and he was renowned for his skill with the sword uh, i mean his skill was astonishing and extraordinary uh, it is rumored uh, i mean if you read the uh, a, i think A.J. yoshikawa book about him uh which is very very long and very turgid uh you know pot meat kettle etc but anyway it's a very odd book to read but it, it does have some phenomenal fight sequences and in one of them, I mean, he apparently he took on like 50 men and either killed or crippled all of them, just destroyed them, you know went, th- went straight through them like um, he was the grim reaper himself. And uh, the reason he managed to do that was because he had incredibly high quality katana and uh, uh, a wakizashi, a dagger with him. And using these two instruments alone, he, he used his patented, two-handed style of fighting. And he would basically duck... He didn't believe in the whole, you know, uh, thrust parry, thrust kill uh, approach that a lot of fencing masters in Europe began to use. Musashi's approach was essentially uh, find an opening and then strike to kill as fast as possible. He didn't believe in this whole extended swordplay stuff. As as one of my instructors in Krav Maga once said, this whole, you know... uh, Fence, thrust, parry, uh, catch the, catch the blade and kind of force it back and all, that's all bullshit. What Miyamoto Masashi did was, he just went for the kill, immediately. He saw an opening and he went for the kill. That's it. That is the kind of power of a truly well-forged katana. Now, why do I, why have I spent 10 minutes or more talking about Japanese blades? It's because of the process that we're all going through right now. And the election plays a big part in it. Now, Let me be very, very clear about this. I believe, as a matter of faith, that his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the god-emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, the Chaddest of Chads, may the Lord bless him and preserve him, will be re-elected on Tuesday night. I believe he will win with an historic landslide victory. Uh, the evidence in front of us is astonishing. I mean, if you look at the, the the rallies and the turnouts that he's getting, it's unbelievable. The difference in energy between his base and a Democrat base is aston- It's is like it's it's night and day. Um, Minnesota's attorney general, who's a you know hardcore Muslim leftist, um basically restricts the god emperor from holding a big rally and says you can only hold an indoor rally with 250 people uh which is absolute bullshit. but you know there you go um what do you expect from uh somebody used to using taqiyya uh the kind of well go look it up taqiyya is uh is an an islamic weapon of war um uh, an islamic weapon of disinformation if you will and demoralization but uh, he says you can only hold a rally with 250 people in, indoors and they must all be socially distanced and all that stuff. Um, well, 25,000 people show up to, to see Trump give a speech and he stands out there on the tarmac and he personally greets them to, to let them know that he cares about them. 25,000 people showing up at a Trump rally is insane. It's astonishing. The, the level of energy that this man commands is, in, is incredible. And now you look at the polls tightening and you look at the, the polling, um, organizations desperately scrambling to, to readjust their, their, their metrics and change the fact that they, they don't, they don't quite capture the true demographics of the country. Um, you look at the massive riots that took place all summer long in American cities. You look at the ways that, um, Democrat-run states have been run into the ground by dealing with the KUF, the Kung Flu, the, the, the Chinese chicken pox, the, the Chinese mumps, whatever you want to call it. Um, all of that points to an historic Trump slide. Now, I could be wrong. Um, I'm betting money that he's going to win. I, I bet 50 bucks on it. And if he, if he wins, I think I'll get 80 bucks um, total. Uh, so I am definitely very confident that he's going to win and I'm very much looking forward to the day after. Uh, but, I could be wrong, because the 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 Supreme Court uh, unfortunately has sided with the hardcore leftists around the country and made it clear that uh, states can continue counting mail-in ballots for up to a week after the election. Which means that there's huge opportunities available for electoral, for electoral fraud. There's no doubt that the left will use electioneering. There is no doubt that there will be massive ballot harvesting and ballot tampering. If you don't believe this, you are delusional. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. It's guaranteed to happen. There is no question that the left will resort to any means necessary to destroy the God Emperor's chances of victory. That being said, we know... That store owners in leftist owned cities across the country are nailing their storefronts shut. They are bracing themselves for tremendous violence come November 4th and the days afterwards. You don't do that when you're confident that your guy's going to win. You don't do that when you think that, uh, there's going to be, you know, a peaceful, orderly transition of power. Um, that's not going to happen. There is no question that what is coming will be violence on a scale that we haven't really seen before. The left is not prepared for what's going to happen on November 4th. And I don't think the right is either, I mean, in all honesty. But it's in two different areas. The left is not prepared to lose. They don't, they, they cannot conceive of losing again. They lost massively in 2016. They got, I mean, a tremendous kick in the teeth. When Hillary Clinton, the you know the, the chosen candidate from the underworld, basically um, was shown very clearly that she didn't have what it took, and she spent the intervening four years blaming everybody but herself for her catastrophic defeat. She still thinks that she was, uh, she has the right to rule America. She's still going around telling everyone that. Um, she was born to handle the the, the coronavirus pandemic, and she, was, she very obviously was not. But all of the signs are pointing toward extreme violence in American cities and extreme uh, destruction. So, what are we going to do about it? What? Well, more importantly, why is this happening? The thing you have to understand is. The re-election of the God Emperor is nothing more than a reprieve, that's all it is. America's doom is assured, it is guaranteed. There is simply no way that you can take a nation as large and prosperous and powerful and great as America and completely remove its moral foundations and completely sell its soul down the river, which is exactly what has been done for 50 years, and not expect consequences. The America of today is not a united nation. It's not a nation at all. The America of today, as I have written for years, as Lieutenant Colonel Tom Cratman and I discussed three weeks ago, uh, as I have expressed repeatedly over and over and over again, as our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, peace be unto him, uh, Voximort the Malevolent, has pointed out, as many of us on the distant right have pointed out repeatedly, there is no American nation anymore. There is instead a decaying and dying empire made of, a heterogeneous empire actually, made of between three and five different nations, depending on how you count them, all occupying, all occupying the geographical footprint of the United States of America. Depending on how you divide up that nation, uh, you will have the sort of Trump heartland uh, in the middle. And as Tom Crattlin, uh as, as the good lieutenant colonel himself pointed out, um, and, and you know, he said this repeatedly, he said this many times. Uh, in the comments to the blog, and uh, in various other places, and I think he's absolutely right. Um, the divide is not so much north versus south anymore as it was in the battle days of uh, of the war between the states. The divide is now urban versus exurban or suburban or rural. Um, someone living in rural Massachusetts or suburban Massachusetts. Has much more in common with somebody living in suburban Alabama than he does with somebody living in suburban Savannah, Georgia, you know, or uh, suburban, um, or in urban New Orleans. Uh, let me make that as clear as possible. Somebody living in the suburbs of a blue state has much more in common with somebody living in the suburbs of a red state than somebody living in the urban areas of a red state. So if you look at let's say, Houston, or Dallas-Fort Worth, or um, uh, a classic example, Austin, Texas, right? Very, very, very liberal places, very liberal cities. They have almost nothing in common with the people around them. You drive 20 miles outside of 6th Street in Austin, and you're in, you know, Gunnut Central, um, which is one of the reasons why I love Texas, by the way. I love, you, I love going to Texas for this exact reason. I mean, you can go to Austin, you can go all the beautiful sights and sounds, and cuisine and, and uh, culture of Austin itself. And you go out, you know, once, once you get sick and tired of the, the liberal nonsense, you drive out 20 miles. And that's all it takes, it's 20 miles. And you're back in an, in an area of solidly red conservative values where you can go to a gun range and pick up your uh, concealed carry permit with one day of training, which is wonderful. Um, you can get, you know, you can walk into any gun range and they'll just hand you a gun and say, okay, go have fun. Try not to kill yourself, and people don't kill themselves. They don't kill anybody else either. Um, you can go to a military surplus store and buy up pretty much whatever you want. Uh, you can buy homes for cheap. I mean, for $100,000 in Texas, you can get um, a really, really, really nice house. For $100,000 in New York City, you'd be lucky if you get a shoebox, right? Um, that's the difference. But the the divide is becoming more clear than ever and the people involved are really truly coming to hate each other. Uh, There's a survey done not too long ago the results were absolutely fascinating. Uh, A lot of conservatives have been saying for years that they have this kind of on-off switch where they go from just go along to get along, and you know, try to try, try not to create any waves, and just just try to deal with leftists as they come, and don't don't really hurt anybody. Just you know, like let them let them do their stupid things, and just vote and try to affect change of the ballot box. And then suddenly a switch flips once they see that it's not working anymore, and it goes to kill effing everybody in sight. And I think people are getting to that point in the states now. They're not getting that point yet in Europe, but they're definitely getting that point in the U.S. Um there's the the survey that I'm referring to featured on Powerline blog uh, a few weeks ago. It was absolutely fascinating because it showed the 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 radical shift in opinion uh among Republicans, registered Republican voters and among uh conservatives. And what it said was that the levels, the numbers of conservatives who are now in favor of using violence to enforce political goals has risen dramatically. It's now risen to above the levels of the left. The left has always been in favor of political violence. That's never been an issue for them. Political violence for them is just a tool. It always has been. I mean, you you can go all the way back to Lenin and Stalin, and they would tell you exactly the same thing. Political violence is a tool to enforce our will upon the masses and to get rid of the bourgeois elite and overthrow capitalism and all that crap. Um, Political violence is a feature, it's not a bug, of the left. Uh, If you don't believe me, then go look up the Naxalite movement in India. Um, If you don't know what the Naxalites are, it's definitely worth checking them out, because you will find that they were some of the most hardcore, brutal, violent leftists ever. And they caused um, outright terror in the, the Bengali countryside for quite a long time during the 1960s before being very brutally suppressed. Uh, You can go look in Indonesia um, or in Malaysia or in the Philippines and look at communist insurgencies there. Uh, You can go look at uh, Colombia and the the FARC uh, or Shining Path rebels in uh, Peru. You can go look at any communist movement anywhere in the world and it's always the same. It's always the use of political violence. They have no problem using it. The right, on the other hand, is not like that for all that we are called fascists, and brown shirts, and terrorists, and all this other nonsense, our fundamental desire is to see peaceful change, and we try very hard to do it that way. But eventually, you push us far enough, and we start fighting back, and that's exactly what we're going to see. So how does this relate back to what I started with, which was this idea of the forge master? Well, understand that what is happening right now is a forging process. You are being tested. You are being hammered. You are being put into the forge, into the crucible, and all of your flaws are being melted down. And you're being folded over and over and over again so that the impurities are wrung out of you. And you are being sharpened. Now, when a katana maker plunges the steel into the quench, into the the, the pool of water, to cool off the steel and and suddenly, you know, solidify the blade, there is a very distinctive sound that a defective sword will make. It's like a ting, and it's a cracking sound um, that tells the forge, it's a ping, you know, like a pinging sound that will tell the forge master that the blade is defective. And he has to start all over again. Understand this, my friend. God is doing that with you right now. He's doing that with me. He's doing that with my mentor. He's doing that with everyone around us who believes. He's doing this for a reason. He's doing it because he's gotten to the point now where he cannot just use imperfect, flawed, sinful men anymore. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to just be imperfect and still do his will. He has to purge us of the things that hold us back from doing what he needs us to do. And it's a very, very painful process. If you think it's bad for you, understand this. Look at what Donald Trump has had to go through for the last five years. He went from being a hugely successful businessman... I mean, okay, you can argue about whether or not he was truly successful. He's, he's a bullshit artist. He's a, he's a great self promoter. I mean, was he really as successful as he claims? No. No, he wasn't. Okay. He, he made up a lot of his, his numbers and he was, a, so he's very self aggrandizing. He's got an ego the size of a planet, a gas giant, actually. Um, and so on and so forth. I mean, all of that is true. All of it is true. There's no, no question that Donald Trump is a very, very vain man. And he knows it. What's more? He, he knows it and he understands it. But look at what he's gone through. I have relatives who say he's accomplished absolutely nothing. It's people around him who've accomplished everything. I'm like, yeah, you're full of shit. You have no idea what you're talking about. This is a man who has fundamentally changed politics in the United States as we know it. And you're telling me he had nothing to do with it? Like, really? You're really that dumb? Um, you know, these are, these are people in my own immediate family who are saying this. Uh, and the reason I say that's an idiotic argument is because if you look at the if you look at what he's done, if he's really so stupid and so dopey, why is it that the United States has not entered into another major war when under Hillary Clinton it absolutely would have happened? There's no question about it. Why is it that the United States has tried and failed to adopt a more conciliatory posture towards Russia, which is one of the very, very few countries, in the old Soviet Union that the United States can actually make a, forge a working relationship with, where, take it from someone who's lived in Russia for over a year, who knows Russians and who speaks Russian and who understands the culture reasonably well, the Russians are much closer to the U.S. in terms of culture and paradigm and belief systems than they are to anyone else. Um, the Russians actually admire America. They they want American prosperity and American freedom. They love American freedoms, but they hate American degeneracy. These are people that the US should be looking to embrace, if not as good friends, then at least as cordial allies, at least as neutral partners at the at the you know, the lowest possible level, neutral partners. Donald Trump has tried to do that. A radical departure from the policy of his predecessors, all of them, including um Jaguars Bush. You know, why is it that for the first time in a generation, maybe more, American workers have seen their incomes skyrocket? They've seen a sense of hope. They've seen they felt a sense that there's somebody in Washington who actually cares about them. Why is it that they, you know, blue-collar workers are turning out in their thousands and tens of thousands to greet this guy? Why is it that? The deep state is so terrified of him that they've concocted hoax after hoax after hoax to destroy him, and they've all failed. Why is it that the greatest scandal in American political history took place with Donald Trump and not with anyone else? The FBI spied on him at the behest of a sitting president. The Attorney General of the United States signed those, was privy to those meetings. The national security advisor was as well. These people colluded together to overthrow a legitimate election result. The, the, the Democrats at every level, uh, you know, the, the all of the top levels of the party, the president, the attorney general, the national security advisor, the, the top candidate, Hillary Clinton, uh, the director of the FBI, the head of the CIA, they all colluded to try to deny the American people President Donald Trump. They did this. It's not you know, This is not speculation. The documents prove it. There's no question about it. There's no question that they used absolute nonsense and ridiculous made-up evidence to do it. They knew it was ridiculous. They instituted backup plans and fallback plans to try to stop Donald Trump from taking power. And in the event that he did take power, they planned to spend the next several years fighting him with every tool at their disposal to stop him from achieving his agenda, to stop him from showing the world how corrupt and ugly and disgusting the American political establishment has become. Think about what that has cost Donald Trump himself. He has been stabbed in the back by everyone he ever trusted, pretty much. General James Mattis came on board, General James, you know, Mad Dog Mattis. I was hugely enthusiastic when uh, he was picked for Secretary of Defense, because I thought, here we go, you know, all blood and guts, General Patton, General Patton's spirit is back in the, in the Pentagon. This guy turned out to be just as bad a globalist as anybody else. He wanted to keep the war going in, in Syria. He wanted to keep fighting against the Russians. He wanted to keep America entangled in endless foreign wars. He wanted to be part of that military-industrial complex. He was stabbed in the back. uh, Donald Trump was stabbed in the back by his own Secretary of Defense. His own daughter and son-in-law have turned out to be huge impediments to his plans to reform the uh, uh, to to basically stop the American military from being used as global cop. Uh, He keeps getting suckered into these stupid humanitarian missions, which are completely pointless, by his liberal daughter. And unfortunately, that's his favorite child. Um, His son-in-law, Jared Kushner, keeps making an ass out of himself on the foreign policy stage. Steve Bannon turns out to have leaked uh, a lot of information from the Trump White House just to uh, puff himself up. That's becoming very clear now. I mean, it has been for a few years. Uh... You know, the the what's his name? Um, not Luther Strange, the other guy, Roy Jones. Um, the the Senate candidate that he backed in Alabama, at the behest of of um, of uh, establishment creatures in his own party, that backfired on him very badly. And he lost a Senate seat to to Doug Jones, not not Roy Jones. Uh, what's his name? Crap, Roy Moore. That's it. Uh, Judge Roy Moore from Alabama. That backfired on him completely, and a good man's reputation, as far as I can tell, was destroyed. Um, there's a lot of hinky stuff going on there. Maybe I'm not going to get into that, but there's definitely an element of vengeance being played out against him. And despite all of that, look at what this man has accomplished. The best economy in 50 years, since probably since Reagan, um, if not more, Uh Peace and prosperity delivered right up until February 2020 when a pandemic that he had nothing to do with came to American shores. And let's be clear about this. The Chinese shut down internal travel completely out of Wuhan, out of uh, Hubei province. They still allowed international flights to keep going. A lot of Americans view this as an act of war by the Chinese. And honestly, I'm not disinclined. I am inclined to agree with that. Because the Chinese were basically saying, we don't care what happens to other countries. We just care about what happens to us. We only care about, um, us, you know, our people being kept safe. But if we infect other countries, oh, that's fine. That's, that's okay. Uh, and yet there is plenty of evidence now to suggest that this virus came out of a, uh, wep- uh well, not a weapons research lab, a virus research lab in Wuhan itself. Uh, that this virus was genetically engineered. That uh, fortunately, it's nowhere near as lethal as we expected, but it's still pretty nasty. It's definitely nastier than the average flu, but not by much. Um, and look at what's happened since then. I mean, the whole world's economy has shut down. Donald Trump has been pushed and pushed and pushed. And, you know, in sword making terms, he's been folded over and over and over and over again. And he's been pushed into the quench repeatedly. And look at what he's accomplished. it's astonishing. I am simply in awe of the man. I cannot believe at the age of like seventy four or seventy five however old he is now he's still out there having so much fun i mean he's, he's it's there's no sign of him slowing down he's he's a he's a fat man going out there and having fun I, I mean and you know he's he's out there on the campaign trail and he yeah, he's it's obvious that he doesn't take religion quite that seriously, but there's something there about him where you see him, you know, basically saying, "I'm the most famous person in the world after Jesus." I'll give that up, you know. I don't want to make any enemies up there and he's like he's laughing and he's he's pointing to the sky, but it's obvious that there's something there. There's some sort of motivating faith behind him because there's nothing else to explain how a billionaire playboy from New York suddenly turned around, entered politics, and became the best president since probably Andrew Jackson. The only way he could be better than Andrew Jackson at this point is if he destroys the Federal Reserve System. Once he does that, you know, greatest president of all time, greatest leader of the last thousand years, Um, any other accolades anyone cares to mention, just heap them on top of him, because he'll have done everything to deserve it. Uh, But that's what we're facing right now. We're facing a quenching process, and it's very miserable, it's very painful. How do we get past it, as men, or as people, you know, how do we prepare ourselves for what's coming? I've got a few tips, um, some of them from my own experience, some of them from the experiences of others. First and foremost, get yourself right with God, get yourself to church, pray. We're going to need warriors. Uh, America is going to need warriors of the, you know, the gun up and gung ho variety. That's for sure. You guys are, I'm not in America anymore, but you guys are up against some very vicious opposition. Make no mistake. The war that is coming to you is not going to be easy. I have pointed this out in previous podcasts. If you think that the Antifa types and the BLM types And the NFAC, the not effing around coalition, are going to come to your neighborhoods and just be all polite and nice and pick up, you know, run around with signs and be polite and observe time limits and leave when the sun goes down. No, it's not going to happen. Those people are going to come. They're going to invade with weapons. They're going to start shooting people. They're going to start rounding up people in the streets. Um, They're going to start overrunning neighborhoods. They're going to start burning things down. The NFAC is a bunch of very violent-looking black militants ...who are armed to the teeth and are not interested in taking prisoners. If you try to fight them as lone wolves... ...you're going to get found out and slaughtered. Not gonna, it's not going to work. You need to start making your own militias. And I'm not joking about that. You need to start putting together your own bands of neighborhood watches, ...armed to the teeth as well with rifles, with guns with personal defense weapons, with body armor, if you can get it, you're going to need to do this. And I know this sounds scary, but it's the truth. Civil order in America is going to disintegrate before our eyes in the very near future. I would love to be wrong. I I Really, I would love to be wrong about this. I hope I'm wrong about this. I pray I'm wrong. But I'm probably not going to be. And you know why? Because I've lived through a violent revolution myself, at least one of them. I, I was there when Suharto fell... Uh, from power in 1998. I was there. I watched the city of Jakarta burn as uh, violent mobs ransacked stores and raped women of Chinese descent and uh, firebombed large parts of the city. I, I remember distinctly driving back from school in a school bus. We were being evacuated very slowly. And I remember, you know, driving back as the streets were declared safe in this one area or this other area and seeing these huge pillars of smoke rising up from Jakarta uh, around the city, and I had no idea what was going on, but it was really scary. I've seen it happen. I've seen what it's like. Don't ever believe that things won't change. So that's the first tip. You need warriors. You need people armed to the teeth around you. You need people you can trust around you. You need to start forming your own, if you haven't done it already. You need to start forming your own neighborhood alliances to protect yourselves. More than that, you need prayer warriors. Get to church. Get yourself cleansed of sin. Confess your sins. Stop sinning. Get to work. God doesn't just need men and muscle anymore to accomplish what he needs to do. Make no mistake. Donald Trump was an act of mercy that America did not deserve. A country that aborts its own children, that permits violent leftists to roam unchecked in the streets, that presumes to put judges over elected officials, that is so corrupt and so uh, hedonistic and so morally debased as to promote pedophilia and gay so-called marriage and Uh, mental illness in the form of uh, transsexuals basically pretending that you can transition from one sex to another and back again, is not a nation that deserves to survive. No nation that has fallen for these idiocies in the past has survived. And you know why? Because the moral underpinnings of that nation have been destroyed. No nation has ever been able to survive a mass replacement of its peoples. No nation that was 90% one type of people, and then eventually moved to less than 60% of that same type of people, in the space of two generations, has ever survived. It doesn't work, because the nation is the people, it is not the soil. And when you insist on importing millions and tens of millions of not, not, you know, people from that nation, of others, of outsiders, into that nation, to try to become part of that nation, it doesn't work. It doesn't freaking work. I don't know how many other ways you can put it other than saying immigration equals war, because the results are always exactly the same. America is doomed. Make no mistake about that. America, in its present form, will not survive. And it will not survive more than another 10 years, if that. Donald Trump is nothing less than an act of divine mercy that, again, America absolutely did not deserve. And look at what he's accomplished. Do not spit on the hand of the Lord when he's offering you a second chance or you know the umpteenth chance that he's offering now. Form your communities. Get out there get to churches, start praying, start figuring out who it is that's on your side and who isn't. Start rallying around your own people. Be prepared for the day that SHTF, shit hits the fan, because it's going to happen. Now, the thing is, if you're living in certain parts of America after election day, you probably won't really notice a whole lot changing. change. If you're living in, you know, Somewhere in North Dakota, if you're assuming your balls haven't frozen to the size of raisins because it's so freaking cold up there, um, if you're living out in rural North Dakota or somewhere in Wyoming or parts of Colorado uh, or most most of Texas, it's like okay, just you know, it's just another election cycle. It doesn't matter who wins. But if you're living in St. Louis or Minneapolis or St. Paul uh, or New Orleans or New York City, New York effing city as I call it, um, if you're living in uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, maybe even San Diego, if you're living in Seattle or Portland, that some of this is going to be applicable to you some of this is going to be directly relevant to you because the mobs are going to come and they're going to start burning things down. They're going to start looting. They're going to start being incredibly violent when they don't get their way. They're going to use every tactic in the book to try to overthrow Donald Trump. And Trump himself is in danger right now because the top brass among the military cannot be relied upon. Uh, Many of the admirals and generals that, not all, but many of them, that Trump needs to have on his side or not on his side. They're they are very much part of the establishment, part of the swamp. Uh, they are very much creatures of the Obama administration and will have no hesitation in disobeying lawful orders from their commander-in-chief. I think the enlisted men uh, and many of the officer ranks up to about, uh, probably the rank of captain or major, uh, in the army at least, judging by what uh, Colonel Cratton told me when, when we spoke, uh, will support the God Emperor because he's he understands what it means to send troops into harm's way and he doesn't want to do it anymore, and that's wonderful to see. But I think the top brass are, um, many of them are very much against him. So he doesn't know who he can trust. He needs you. He needs to be able to rely on you. Get out there and vote. Um, I'm not able to do so. I'm not an American citizen to my everlasting regret. So this isn't my fight. I have a vested interest in it in some ways, but it's not my fight. I'm I was cast out of the United States and the, the longer I have spent away from it and the more I have watched the US devolve into what it is today, the more I am sure that there was divine providence at work. That something pushed me out and then, you know, broke me down for a reason. And I'm still trying to figure out what that reason was. I'm still trying to figure out why I went through what I did. And I mean, I haven't even told you more than about 2% of it through these podcasts. Um, It's been that bad. Um, Get yourself into a state of grace. Understand what that means. Uh, See, the thing is, being in grace is vitally important, not just in this world, but in the next. To understand what it means to go to hell, it's not fire and brimstone. Well, it's not just fire and brimstone. I mean, the worst of sinners definitely face that. But if you look at the Bible, what it says, there's a, a, a passage in, as my mentor pointed out to me, there's a passage in uh, Matthew about the sign of Jonah. Uh, Jesus is, is, is pestered by the, the Pharisees and give us a sign that you're really the prophet, the Messiah. And he turns around and he says to them, you will see the sign of Jonah. Um, and you will not understand. And they're like, what? Go back and read the book of Jonah. Um, fascinating. When Jonah is cast into the sea and he is swallowed by the fish, uh, he utters a prayer to the Lord in which he says, I descended to the bottom. My The waters closed over me. It was as if I was dead. I, I, you know, as if I had died, I went to the very depths of hell, seaweed wrapped itself around me, I was, I, I, I was isolated, I was alone, and I called out to you from the depths of hell in my loneliness and my fear. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a lot, but, you know, go read it for yourself. If you want to know what hell is like for most people who die unshriven, it's like being in solitary confinement but worse because it's eternal it's forever there's no solid ground beneath your feet i have some idea what that's like i have seen everything that i believed in cut out from under me i have seen everyone that i ever respected uh, shown up as human and flawed and fallible I have seen psychotic rage up close and personal in ways that I can't even begin to explain. I have seen conflict and misery and pain that I can't even begin to describe. And I have known what it is like to feel completely alone, trapped and helpless. And that's what it's like for most of those souls who go down to hell. It's a very terrible place for that exact reason. And if you ever are capable of it, you can actually ask God to show you how he feels about it. I did it, I I was driving down the road once, I just thought to myself, there are a billion people around me who are going to hell because they, they refuse to accept salvation. And out of nowhere, I still cannot explain how this happened. Out of nowhere, I just felt this crushing sense of grief. I have never, ever felt grief like that. I didn't feel it when my grandfather died. I didn't feel it when my grandmother died. I didn't feel it when my uncle died. I didn't feel it when one of my colleagues and co-workers died, Uh, committed suicide. I have never felt that kind of grief in my whole life. And I was just like... Where did that come from? I couldn't breathe for a couple of minutes. It was so bad. And I know that I will never see my grandfather again. I will never see my grandmother or my uncle ever again. When their time comes, I will not see my parents again unless they do what I did. There is no coming back for them. And that's what you need to fear more than anything else. That's what you need to be afraid of. Not for yourself, but for your loved ones. That they will not know that kind of yawning emptiness around them. Don't let them. Do whatever you can. Get on your knees and pray because you're going to need it. You're going to need the strength. Get yourself to the gym. Get yourself... Well, while you can, Obviously get yourself well stocked up and supplied. Above all though, be ready for the tests and be grateful for them when they come. As as bad as things have been for you thus far, they're going to get worse. Be grateful that you've been tested because the fact that you've been tested indicates that you are going to be used somehow in what is to come. Somehow, in some way, there is something planned for you And you're not going to know what it is until the time comes, and you're probably not going to like it very much, but you are being used. You are being pushed in a certain direction. Learn to look out for those signs and learn to appreciate them for what they are. Once you understand what your purpose is, you'll feel much more content and much more happy because the forge master has put you through that quench and he has found that the steel within you is strong enough for his purposes. He has figured out how to use you to accomplish his goals. And the thing is we've already won in the long run. We know how this is going to play out. We have already won the victory. The problem is that in the meantime the enemy, the adversary, is attempting to commit as much collateral damage as he possibly can. And the collateral damage is tremendous. I mean, the the level of pain and misery being inflicted is astonishing. And you can see it around you. You can see people who have just lost hope. They've given up. They've simply checked out. Whether it's the MGTOW movement in the States, or churchians who are resorting to false gospels, or people who just given up on life, and you know, suicide rates are skyrocketing around the world because of the coof. because people have seen all of their savings destroyed, because governments around the world have reacted so stupidly and so short-sightedly to a virus that really isn't all that dangerous, because people are so terrified and so afraid, you know, our enemy thrives on our fear. Don't be afraid. I know that's easy to say, and it's very hard to do, but don't be afraid. Prayer will help you, no question about that, but you need more than prayer. You need to be around people who love you and support you and agree with you. You need to be around like-minded folks. If you're a man, go out there into your community, start talking to like-minded people around you, get to know your neighbors if you don't already, gun up, start going hunting. Start going fishing together. Start getting together and planning out mutual defense. Start getting to know each other's families. Start protecting each other. Start instituting neighborhood watches. Don't rely on the government to protect you. The government is going to have its hands absolutely full for the next three months. At least. Probably longer. Be ready when the time comes for violence in your neighborhoods. Be ready to take on people in the streets. Be ready and... Understand that you may well end up like the hero Kyle Rittenhouse. Have you noticed, by the way? I mean, I don't have much time left to talk about this, but have you noticed Kyle Rittenhouse's name has suddenly disappeared from everything? He was this—he was—he was a white supremacist man, racist, evil, horrible fascist who shot a couple of, who shot three innocent people in cold blood. And then it turns out that uh, one of the people he killed in self-defense. By the way, it's very obviously self-defense. Um, was a convicted child abuser, a convicted pedophile. The, the people he shot were very, very evil people. Um, the, the guy who had a you know a, a gun up to his head and was about to pull the trigger uh, had a serious criminal rap sheet and you know the guy who's, whose army practically blew off. <sighs> Good for him. Kids got balls, that's for sure. Um, there are going to be a lot more of those stories coming out over the next few months. Um, pray God that it doesn't happen, but be ready for it when it does. And understand, above all else, the Forge Master is using you, he is tempering you, he is uh, purging you of impurities in this entire process, because what is coming is going to be very, very rough, very bad. But we're going to get through it. We're going to be okay. We'll get through this one way or another. So, guard your hearts. Be ready. Remain in grace as much as you can. Avoid sin and temptation as much as you can. And and coming from me, that's hilariously stupid because I'm I'm about as piss-poor an example of a Christian as you can get. But be ready for what's coming. And be ready to have some serious disagreements with the people you love. Because some of the people in your family are going to be outraged, um, come November 4th. It's not going to be fun having to deal with their temper tantrums, but here's what it is. Remember that this too shall pass. All things pass and this too shall pass. And in the end, the forge maker will, the forge master, will use you as he sees fit. That's about it for this episode of Didactic Mind. Uh, we're about at the one hour mark. As always, Please like, share, and subscribe. Um, if you have not done so already, make sure you subscribe to my email list. And uh, I will see you, um, I hope, celebrating the God Emperor's victory on Wednesday. Uh, this has been Didactic Mind, episode 53, The Forge Master. And this is Didact, signing off.